0: In just a second, we're going to check in with Laura Keegan. Uh, you know Laura. She's been on the show before representing HIV Edmonton. She's brought Brooke Begin along with her. Brooke is an educator with HIV Edmonton. Uh, they've got a new website out. Uh, I'll throw it over to you now. If you're at work... I don't know if I need to say it's NSFW as they say not safe for work cuz I think I don't think you'd be in trouble but I will say that you'll get a heads up as soon as you visit hivtonight.com a pop up will say this site contains explicit imagery we're get into we're we're going to talk about what that imagery is and why it's important In just a second, of course, over this last half hour, we brought you the news conference with President Barack Obama, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and I was kind of weirded out. Our PM saying, the president, Mr. President, Obama saying, hey, Justin, nice to see you, Justin. I mean, like he might as well patted him on top of the head, right? So I'm asking, is it disrespectful or not? And our text line's been blowing up. After 1030, we're going to get to this at length. We'll get to some of your comments on this. Paul says, I don't think it's disrespectful uh, for Barack to call our PM Justin. Uh, Justin can call him Barack. Meantime, Brian says it's disrespectful to refer to any leader by their first name in public. It shows no respect for the position they hold. Laura Keegan, Brooke Biggin, wh- what do you think? Is it Does it weird you out for Barack Obama to refer to our prime minister as Justin?
1: Uh... I don't know he does have pretty boyish good looks, so <laughs> yeah. maybe that's it that's what everybody's talking yeah. about I who's think, talking policy yeah.
2: i i think it I think it is actually disrespectful in a like I think in that context, I think when they're you know in a room together having a drink after speakers, then I think that's where yeah first names but just uh my experience with you know. The West Wing is it's always Mr. President, so it should be Mr. <laughs> Prime Minister.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm in the middle of watching season four of House of Cards right now, and it's always Mr. President. If, if Mr. President wants you to do something, and the First Lady and everybody, Mr. Vice President, I mean, that's how it goes, right? So here I am, HIVTonight.com. I'm going to click Sounds Good on the heads up that suggests that this site contains explicit imagery. And well, the first thing that I see is. Uh, well, it's a penis. It's a penis that grows to indicate that HIV is on the rise in Edmonton. Why did you use imagery like this, Laura?
2: Well, I think it's really important to. We wanted it to be fun and and provocative in a in a good way and and sex positive. And I mean, what better way to talk about um, the increase in a in a predominantly sexually transmitted infection than to you know have a have an erection determine the statistics and actually the statistics on the graph are are pretty accurate um and so uh, the penis may be less accurate. I think we've discussed that in real life, it may not actually be able to bend quite like that. But <laughs>
0: or grow uh, that quickly. Or grow,
2: yeah. or grow that quickly. But it's. Uh, I think it's been a. It's a been a good catchy image, and uh, we wanted the number one thing for people to start talking about is that HIV is on the rise, and that is something that people are not expecting and and not talking about right now.
0: It uh, reads: global HIV rates are down. Yet more and more Edmontonians are getting HIV. So if you thought HIV was old news, well, it's not. Brooke, this is an issue, obviously, that hits home directly with you. Mm -hmm. You're an educator with HIV Edmonton. You're also a young Edmontonian who's HIV positive. That diagnosis for you came when you were just 23 years old. Yes. What's the message that you share to people?
1: The message that I share well I mean I, I think there are there are a lot of messages I think that um, this campaign and and the reason why it focuses on this specific population, gay and bisexual uh, other men who are having sex with men uh, is that You know, for the past 30 years up till today, men who have sex with men continue to be the most disproportionately impacted population by HIV across Canada. Consistently, year after year, making up half of new infections in Alberta is one of the highest, uh, most at-risk populations as well. And uh, we haven't seen change happening there. And so we really need to start a conversation amongst our community, but also with decision makers around what we can do to change the narrative. Okay, before we go any further, I've heard this
0: several times. We talk about gay men, bisexual men, and men who have sex with men. Now, I've always understood this to be essentially, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll just cut to the chase, men who deny or they can't come to terms with the fact that they're bisexual. What's the difference between a bisexual man, a gay man, and a man who has sex with men?
1: So we're living in a, a pretty exciting time right now in terms of people exploring their identity and people feeling uh, confident uh, in being able to to affirm their identity and We're no longer in that binary space of gay or straight. Uh, man or woman. Uh, there's a space in between, and people fall all along that continuum. And so part of it is, yes, that not all men who are having sex with men are identify as gay or bisexual. They may be married to a woman. They may identify as straight, but still be having sex with men on the side. Uh, they may uh, identify themselves completely different. Uh, uh, we just really want to be inclusive. This is a targeted campaign, but it's important that you know all those who could benefit from this message are included in that.
0: Yeah, I, was, I was talking to you, Laura, off air, and, and, and you were explaining to me sort of generally, and I know we can get into it more in depth now, exactly who you're aiming this at. And I've heard messaging through the years, especially when people have been trying to decrease the stigma around HIV and AIDS to say this is not just a, quote, gay disease. This is a disease that can impact anybody. It seems interesting now to flip back now to gearing a message toward just the the gay and bisexual community. So why the change? Why is that important or significant?
2: Well, I think, you know, it's not, we chose this based on what Brooke was saying, is that 49% of new HIV infections in Alberta are among the uh, gay community. So we wanted to make sure that bumps it up our priority list of how do we target this. If our vision is zero, how do we get there? We need those infections to decrease. So um, another important piece is, is that this campaign is geared to this. I mean, I would love to have... Um, finances that came in and more grants that could come in that we could apply for that would allow us to then target the African Caribbean black community which is also disproportionately affected by HIV and the Aboriginal community. Those campaigns would look very different. They would you know they would be culturally appropriate to that community. We geared this campaign because to prioritize that was the biggest statistic um, to statistically relevant group that is vulnerable to HIV so that's why we started with this campaign and hopefully we'll be able to move into other campaigns with off the success of this one as well.
0: I've had I've had an opportunity to speak with both of you before and as a testament to the importance of the work you do it seems the more we talk the more questions I have and I'm just breaking I have a list of questions here in front of me and I'm just breaking off of them because everything you're saying is prompting further ones like for example you talk about members of, of a Caribbean or African American communities the members of the First Nations communities that that seem to be more susceptible uh, to these rising HIV rates. You're not going to tell me it's something biological, are you? I mean, is it cultural? No. What is it?
2: No, it's the vulnerability is around um, is around the social determinants of health. So when we look at what makes people vulnerable to HIV infection, you're looking at poverty, homelessness, um, addictions. Uh, there are some cultural norms that. Are having, where people are maybe having trouble to access based on a small community. Um, Countries where it's endemic, they may think of it one way when they're in their endemic country and think that they're not at risk now that they've moved to Canada. So there's there's a lot of different um, attributes to that, uh, but the vulnerability... Uh, HIV does not discriminate, but it does seek out the absolute most vulnerable in our communities, and those are the things that make people vulnerable.
0: Brooke, why do you think that we can look at an encouraging statistic, the fact that HIV rates globally are going down... Yet here in Edmonton, in the Western world, and, and uh, can I call us an enlightened society,
1: the HIV rates are moving in the opposite direction. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I haven't uh, done a lot of work in uh, terms of the global HIV epidemic. I I would assume, and, and Laura might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the, the progress that we're seeing in other parts of the world might be in certain developing nations where they are now getting greater access to uh, treatment and medication and whatnot. Um, we've kind of been there for a while, you know, since the late 90s. Uh, we had access to effective HIV treatment in Alberta. It's free. So as long as you're uh, diagnosed and uh, you have Alberta health care, your HIV meds, you can access them. Um, in terms of why we're not seeing it go down, I mean, I just don't think we've really taken any sort of decisive action around HIV in a while. We now live, um, you know, Laura and I have been talking about this concept of zero, right? That's our vision is zero. And we can finally get there. We know that people who have access to treatment, uh, who adhere to the treatment can have an undetectable viral load, almost zero chance of transmitting the virus to anyone else. Now PrEP, which is this new thing that we're hearing about lately. can Health Canada just approved it, if an HIV negative person who's at high risk of HIV accesses PrEP, almost zero chance of contracting the virus. So I mean the tools are there and some of these tools have been around, we just haven't seen any movement by decision makers on uh, getting to zero. So it sounds to me in a sense you're saying
0: that we've stopped taking HIV seriously.
2: Absolutely. I I think that's really what it comes down to. I think, you know, that's one of my biggest frustrations having worked in HIV for over 15 years is that this is the one disease that I see we can get to zero. We know exactly how it's transmitted. We know how to prevent it. We have access to treatment. We now have, you know, pre-exposure prophylaxis and all of these different tools, plus condoms and and sexual health information, Um, and yet we're still not there. And I think that's where it comes down to uh, political will.
0: Why was it so important for you to have a website? I'm assuming it's strategic. I know you worked with Calder Bateman on this. They're, they're, they're the cream of the crop when it comes to messaging. And this is not the first controversial project that they've undertaken. Do you need to grab people and shake them a little bit when you have an important message? Do you need a website that's edgy as opposed to one that's just informative?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, HIV Edmonton is the informative website. Um, So we already had an informative website. um, But I think that was the thing, was the provocative aspect around what was something that people didn't know. And that was where Calder Bateman really could help. come and come up with the with the messaging that was going to be clear that was a little unexpected and that first message that you talked about of hiv on the rise is something that people are not talking about and is unexpected the other images on there are other messaging around treatment and testing as prevention tools which is also a little bit unexpected as aid service organizations have predominantly just been gearing towards a condom condom messaging. We really want it to be a 2016 website. There are things that are happening now that we wanted it to be very reflective of. Um, but you want it to be fun and you know, something like almost like a BuzzFeed where people can get on it and have a good time with the information.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the language is edgy. The imagery is edgy, but it's very informative and you get right to the point with it. I'll be honest with you. If you would have put me on the spot before I visited HIVtonight.com and said, which direction are HIV rates moving in Edmonton? I would have guessed Mm -hmm. they were on the drop on the way down. I at least would have hoped so here's at least one Edmontonian that your message has reached. Laura Keegan and Brooke Biggin are our guests. When we come back, Brooke, I- I'd be curious to know what's life like for an HIV positive man living in Edmonton right now. And Laura, I'd be curious for your insight on how Brooke's experience may be different than it would have been say in the 1980s. More with these two representing HIV Edmonton. But first, seeing as it's 10-20, it's the show A quarter century in the making, Guns and Roses, together in Las Vegas for the first show in more than 20 years, and you could be there. Gina, I'm picturing rain falling over a piano right now, rose petals everywhere. One lucky winner and their guest is going to win a trip for two to Las Vegas to see G&R perform their very first show back together. If you haven't visited 630Ched.com to register yet, do it now and then tune in daily at 7.20 and 10.20 in the morning, 4.20 in the afternoon. Listen for your name. If you hear your name, you're on the clock. You've got six minutes and 30 seconds to call 780 496 63 If you call within that window you'll qualify to see the reunion concert of a lifetime. If you're from Drayton Valley and your name is Wayne Current, you're on the clock. Wayne best of luck 780-496-0063 Wayne Current could qualify to go see GNR in Sin City. We'll be right back with Brooke Biggin and Laura Keegan after this. Conversation. Our guests here in studio this half hour, Laura Keegan and Brooke Biggin with HIV Edmonton, uh, the website we're talking about, HIVtonight.com. Have you checked it out yet? I'd be curious to know. You can text in to 630-630. Were you able to get past your firewall at work? HIVtonight.com. Uh, Brooke, uh, as we headed to break, I indicated that I'd be interested to know, you, you've now been, uh, your diagnosis uh, HIV positive when you were 23, you're 27 now, correct? Yeah. What have the last four years been like for you? How have they been different? And, and how would your daily routine be, be any different than somebody who's HIV negative?
1: Um, You know, uh, four years is a long time. A lot has happened. Um, And and as I'm thinking about it, you know, HIV, in terms of how it's impacted my day-to-day life, uh, doesn't pop up as as one of the top things. Uh, You know, uh, right now, with the advancements that we have, I take one pill a day. There are zero uh, side effects, essentially, to that. Uh, I have an undetectable viral load consistently, which means my chance of transmitting the virus to anybody else is almost zero. I see a specialist twice a year for about 15 minutes. Uh, it would be harder to live with diabetes, really, than it is for me to manage uh, HIV, at least in terms of uh, physical health. I mean, stigma is a different thing, of course. I don't know if you want me to talk I about do, that. Of course, I um, want you to talk yeah, about it. Uh, yeah, stigma, you know, stigma. Uh, is both a driver of HIV infection in the sense that uh, it is sexual, gender, and racial minorities who are stigmatized, who are made vulnerable for HIV infection, and then also stigma facing people living with HIV. Um, first of all, uh, lowers their quality of life for for one. Um, and also it actually uh, stops us from getting to zero. So for example, criminalization, HIV criminalization, the criminalization of HIV non-disclosure, just about every any expert who can really speak to it says that it's crap you know, is based solely on stigma. And now we're seeing people who are living with HIV, often vulnerable populations, people of color, Aboriginal women who have been victims of sexual assault themselves now being treated like sex offenders. So, I mean, we're talking stigma on a personal level, structural level uh, across the board. And that's something we really need to tackle. You're you're sitting here and just nodding your head, nodding your head. So the microphone's yours, Laura.
2: Well, I think you know there. There are so many valid points to that, and I think um, you know Brooks' experience on treatment, luckily, has been has been great, as you heard. Um, but we do know that um, you know long term time on on infec- on the treatment can change, and so they have to keep up with mm-hmm. um, you. Their HIV is a bit of a shape-shifter, and so um, meds do stop working at certain times, and so there can be different uh, challenges that come up. Um, And as he was saying, the stigma can really shift um, health outcomes of people who might be vulnerable in other ways. So I think what we, you know, we're in a bit of a place where... Like I say, my longtime work in HIV, I've come to a place where I feel like we're almost in a marketing problem that, you know, don't contract HIV, we, you know, there's all these things, it's, it's this, but then if you do, well, there's treatment and it's okay, you can lead a full life, like all of these things, but yet um, we now know that really what's happening is the stigma is killing not necessarily the the virus. Medicine has changed that. Um, science has changed that. But our social structures haven't changed enough.
0: now, it's not it, it's it's not negligible anymore. I mean, it's not it's 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 still a serious diagnosis. I mean, I don't want to use a word uh, to describe your experience, but, like, I mean, were you
1: devastated?
0: I mean, is it devastating?
1: I I think it depends on on the individual. For me, I I actually had an an okay time with it. Now, I'm a very unique uh, example. You're very open with it, which I admire. I mean, you'll talk to anybody about it, Brooke. No, but I'm serious (laughs) because a lot of people, for lack of a better phrase, they would go into hiding. Well, we need more people to be open about it. We we haven't really hit a critical mass yet. Uh, You know, I often walk around and I (laughs) I'm out here kind of as the face of HIV, but I'm not actually the face of HIV. It's much more diverse, and and hopefully through being open about it, more people will uh, feel they're able to do so themselves. In closing. What's the one thing you want people to take from
0: this? Because your zero campaign, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember, isn't it? Zero stigma, zero deaths, zero new infections. Absolutely. Those are the three, right? Yeah. Yep. So what, I mean, is the message as simple as get tested and wear a condom? I mean, is that it?
2: Well, no, because again, the condom discussion is not that simple. And there are other forms of protection. So Like PrEP that
0: you mentioned. Exactly.
2: So one of the biggest dis, dis- Distinguishers as we talk uh, now in aid service organizations, we talk about condomless sex, not unprotected sex. Because you can have condomless sex that is protected. Hang if on a second. On Hold
0: there. Can yeah. I keep you here for five more minutes? Yeah. yeah. Let's go into the news headlines on time because I have a feeling you're about to open up a can and we're gonna need to spend some time on it. More with Brooke Bigan and Laura Keegan right after this. <laughs> Sitting here with Brooke Bigan and Laura Keegan from HIV Edmonton, I I just dropped something in your lap, Laura, topically. I said we might get to this because I think we might disagree on something. We'll see in just a second. But I want to get to the text line. Uh, First of all, here, uh, Bill's listening in from Stettler. Good morning, Bill. Says, uh, wonders, has the gay community stopped taking HIV seriously because there are treatments and cures? Of course, we're talking about a new campaign released by HIV Edmonton. It's HIVtonight.com right across the top uh statistically speaking something i did not know that while hiv rates are dropping globally they're on the rise here in edmonton sean's listening in from lloyd minster says so what you're saying is an educated society who knows how to deal with this transmittable disease lacks the self-control to follow safe protocol do people think hiv went away
2: yeah, I mean, I think there's been a change in dialogue a- around HIV, and, and it has been something, you know, it gets compared to, I mean, mm-hmm. Brooke did it just now in that he compared it to diabetes. And, you know, people living with diabetes don't live a, f- they don't live the same lifespan as people without a chronic illness. There are insulin-dependent diabetics that go blind. There are long side effects. It's not that easy. So even comparing it to something um, is still comparing it to another chronic illness. Um, but you know, one of the things that's changed so much is around, um, uh, you know, if we can change the dialogue a little bit around, we I had mentioned condomless sex versus unprotected sex, is that protection doesn't look like just one thing anymore. We have, um, Brooke had talked about having an undetectable viral load which makes it near impossible for him to transmit HIV. So, if he partakes in condomless sex, so not using a condom, there is still protection in play because he is on treatment with an undetectable viral load. Knowing your status, so 21% of the population in Canada with HIV right now, do not know it. That's our biggest barrier. Say that again? 21% of people living with HIV in Canada do not know. They One know. in five. Yes. So that's our biggest barrier is that testing. People aren't getting tested. They don't see themselves in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas wh- it's not... The, the HIV Tonight site actually talks a lot about through a fun game, <laughs> the Holes of Glory game, talks about the fact that um, being HIV positive or being HIV negative is is okay, it's around the people that don't know, is the risk factor. Um, and, and that's because if people are HIV positive like Brooke, Brooke knows how to protect Mm -hmm. his partners. He knows how to engage in, 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 um, in safe and, like, safe sexual practices. Um, people that are negative know they're negative and, and that changes that story around, um, HIV. It's the people that don't know and they're really the ones that, that we need to to reach and say testing needs to just be normalized and part of it. And we if we can talk about that in a non-threatening way, we're hoping more people will will get tested. Yeah,
1: and just to piggyback off that, first I'll respond to Sean, right? Uh, so, you know, he had mentioned, you know, uh, gay men being as educated as they, as they are. First of all, that's not true, right? So we live uh, in a world where gay men do not have access to sexual health education that is relevant to them. as a gay man for for example I was asked this question recently if you had received a sexual health education that is relevant to you would you have contracted HIV the truth is I will never know because I didn't get one right so it's not an educated so what would it look like give us an idea of, of,
0: of what a sexual health education relevant to you as a gay man would look like are you talking like
1: in high school for example well yeah uh, high school I mean at that point yeah just even well when I went to school in small town Newfoundland like the I don't know if gay people existed you know in the curriculum but yeah definitely something that makes sense, something that's applicable in the real world, something that talks about risks, something that talks about how to protect yourself, those sorts of things. And that's not really messaging guys are necessarily getting from public health either. It's often agencies like this and this campaign is one of the first times in Edmonton that we've really educated guys around the options that are available to them. Brooke, you talked
0: about this this PrEP uh, program, this initiative that was recently approved no. by Health Canada. If I understand correctly, and, and, and please uh, clarify if I'm wrong, it's it's geared toward individuals who are HIV negative, mm-hmm. who can take a, a daily uh, medication that would essentially almost 100% protect them From uh, from incurring the HIV from from, what do you what's the word you use acquiring the HIV virus what do you say Uh, to me on first glance okay great but it also suggests to me that if you're taking part in this if you're taking this med as an HIV negative individual. Uh, as a man, let's say, why, why on earth would you wear a condom? And that seems to me to be somewhat counterproductive.
1: Yeah. Well, so, Ryan, what I would say to that, so, first of all, there was a lot of controversy around PrEP, similar to the birth control pill, and we give this... You mean, like, RU486,
0: the, the morning after pill? Is that the one you're talking about? Uh,
1: no, just no, like the old prophylax- days, like, even oh, just, like, this okay. idea oh, if we give people a way to stop pregnancy or a way to not get HIV, everybody's just going to become a big slut, uh, okay. right? Uh, but we found through evidence, and remember, we need to come back to evidence, uh, that is not happening. And 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 not and this isn't so much uh, uh, an excuse for guys not to use condoms. I'm currently working on uh, over an analysis of Edmonton data. And we surveyed 363 uh, local gay men. And about half of them are not using condoms consistently. So it's not about giving people an excuse not to use condoms. They're not. And we need to actually be responding to the needs that people have instead of living in this fantasy world. Which is currently what decision makers have been doing. And I do just want to get this point in. Right now... Now, what's happening with PrEP has been approved by Health Canada is going to a common drug review in Alberta the Minister of Health will make the decision as to how PrEP is made accessible uh, in Alberta so Minister Sarah Hoffman our community we are waiting we will be watching you we want to be consulted because we could really take leadership around this issue and access the testing that Laura mentioned that currently sits in the government's hands too there is not enough funding for rapid HIV testing we have sent a letter the Edmonton Men's Health Collective a local grassroots organization uh, asking them to respond to this issue the government still hasn't it's been over a month so really we're working hard the community's working hard and we need decision makers to come on board with us. Do you get the sense that the Alberta government is prepared to take HIV
0: seriously?
2: I think I think we've had a change in government, and so um, I think that given an opportunity, I think we now have a chance for this to look different in Alberta. Um, I think the the conservative nature of the province, the as it has stood, um, and the country has been very difficult to do what we need to do in harm reduction across the whole harm reduction model um, around condoms, around needle exchanges, around safe injection sites. There's a whole spectrum of harm reduction and I think um, we're at a new place right now with changes in government both federally and provincially. So I don't want to say that they wouldn't do it because I think that we now have an ear of people that understand the science, Mm -hmm. the evidence. Um, It's just a matter of uh, where are we at and, and those changes take time.
0: And you know for a lot of people I mean over open discussion like this and frank conversations uh, mark a drastic departure from the way that a lot of people have have, have rolled when it comes to discussing things like hiv and aids uh, to, to return to the idea of that that prep medication in the program i think it's probably also important and maybe obvious to note that condoms aren't just related to hiv and aids right i mean when someone no. decides to not wear a condom to condomless sex it's not just hiv and aids that we're Absolutely. concerned about
2: and it's really i think it's been really fascinating to me to to, to watch people's reaction to contracting another STI or the discussions around other STIs, and yet the stigma and fear and all of these other aspects around HIV are so uniquely different. Um, but, you know, I had a conversation with uh, one of our infectious diseases docs just last week, and the the statistics coming out around um, uh, drug-resistant chlamydia, drug-resistant gonorrhea, and we have syphilis. I mean, we've got lots of outbreaks that are are now um, getting quite scary as well, having drug-resistant <laughs> strains of those yeah. things. So, and PrEP and these other things that we're talking about, because we're an aid service organization, are specific to HIV only, and it, they do not protect people from other from contracting these other sexually transmitted infections.
0: I know the two of you can see the text line right now, Except and it's, st- it's starting to scroll. And uh, <laughs> that indicates to me that this message is resonating with our audience. We always say to people, uh, as soon as we hear the crickets, as soon as the conversation dries up, we'll move on but if listeners indicate to us that they'd like to hear more then we'll keep it going so i'll ask you to stick around after this break more with brooke Began and laura keegan we'll get to the text line what you have to say including some pretty pointed questions right after this <laughs> We're into overtime with our guests this hour from HIV Edmonton, Laura Keegan and Brooke Biggin. It started our conversation around HIVtonight.com, their controversial, edgy new website, but it contains a message. It shares a message that, quite frankly, I was not aware of. Were you? That as HIV rates drop around the world, they are on the rise here in Edmonton. Listeners have been chiming in on the text line out of St. Paul this morning. A listener says, I'm having some trouble believing that how to protect yourself from sexually transmitted infection is not the same from gay men to straight men or gay men to gay women or gay women to straight. We all sit in the same classroom. Teachers cannot control that students decided to block a part out of sex ed because it was not directed in exact detail to them. We really are again, teaching people Uh, be it not in direct detail to them that it no longer matters. We've had several comments when it comes to sexual education. Another uh, person, a listener here by the name of Jason, why would gay men require specialized HIV education? Protection that works for heterosexuals applies to gay men as well. Use protection. Avoid multiple partners. It's simple as that. Let's not make lack of special treatment as an excuse for lack of diligence. Well,
1: you know, there are some pretty brilliant people working to end HIV around the world and amongst this population, so if it was as simple as that, we probably would have solved by now, so I think the situation is a little more complex and for somebody who hasn't been involved in this discussion and in this field it might sound like well, duh, but uh, it, it's not simple. People aren't simple. Nobody, the people who are texting us aren't simple. Think about your sex life. Has it always been cut and dry? You know, uh, th- love is complicated. Intimacy is complicated. And I want to return it to that because it's not just about all these guys going off to the beach in their speedos looking to hook up. Like when you look at reasons for condomless sex is often tied to things like intimacy and love and trust. And, and so we don't want to just treat like gay men as these like, bad guys, you should be just doing something better. We want them to experience all those wonderful things. Because you, you understand, I mean, let me say
0: this, and I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, many people, including some listeners to this program, when they think of the gay community, they think of the leather and the metal that we see on display at Pride
1: Parades, and everybody thinks that it's a hedonistic free-for-all. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt, <laughs> and he's not very hedonistic, so I would disagree with Brooke, that. Brooke, you've been paying uh, <laughs> close attention
0: uh, to the text line, yeah. and there was one text that arrived. I wasn't going to read it. Oh, yeah. But something indicates to me that you want me to throw it out there. Somebody texted in simply, God
1: is just. <laughs> Sorry. That was... a A verbal eye roll. Um, No, it's true. You know, I went to Pentecostal Bible College for four years right here in Edmonton, Vanguard. I have a master's in religious studies. So, yeah, you know what? I get why somebody would write in God is just. And so, going off of that, if God is just, perhaps he has you, his follower, listening to this program so that you can see injustice and respond to it. So, there you go. I agree with you. Now, do something about it. Laura, listener
0: here, is wondering how abstinence only sex edu- education affects infection rates.
2: Well, abstinence only programming happens a- around the world and has just, we've watched them just, in- rates increase of STI, of pregnancy, of everything around abstinence only. And the thing is around abstinence is that. If you don't have sex, if you abstain, yes, you will not contract an STI, and you will not get pregnant, and you won't have any of those things. The problem is, is that it only works for people that don't have sex. Yeah, which and th- and that is not very many yeah. people.
1: And, <laughs> that and we, we are we are sad don't
2: for sex. them.
0: Yes, we are sad <laughs> for those people. When we come back, some closing remarks. I, I'd actually like to to stir up again the idea of disclosure. I'm not sure we see eye to eye, but but maybe I don't have all the details. Uh, more with Brooke and Laura right after this. Thank you. Our guests in studio for what's proven to be an hour-long conversation, Brooke Biggin and Laura Keegan in from HIVEdmontonHIVTonight.com, the website that they'd like you to check out regarding the rise in HIV rates here in Edmonton. Before we go, I wanted to return to, to an idea, something that surfaced here uh, previously, but we didn't get too into it, and that is criminal liability in Canada for non-disclosure of HIV status. Now, there are a lot of details to this, as is the case with many uh, items in, in Canada criminal code. But as I understand it, if you're HIV positive, you must disclose your status to potential sexual partners. Now, Brooke, you indicated to us, you believe that further stigmatizes HIV. My question to you though, what about those that are HIV negative? What about protecting
1: that population with the information they'd probably like to have? So you know what? Um, This idea of HIV-positive people running around trying to infect people is not reality, first of all. The majority, the vast majority of people living with HIV do disclose as difficult as it is. And, and And that's the other thing. Over half of all new infections in Canada are attributed to people who don't know their status, that 21%. So the truth is... The, you're more likely to contract HIV from somebody who doesn't know their status than somebody who lives with HIV. If somebody's on HIV, that person's probably on treatment which is lowering the chance of transmitting it uh, to you. But yeah, there's been no evidence to show that criminalization of HIV has done anything to curb the epidemic or stop infections. And in fact, there, there is evidence to show that it decreases the amount of testing because why would you want to know if you could potentially go to jail?
2: and I think you know it comes back to one of the comments that had come up earlier today was or like or earlier in the text messaging was around um, you know people's responsibility right so it came back to you know the sex ed the responsibility we all heard the same thing well there are two partners involved in a sex act and because if it wasn't consensual that's a different criminal code that needs to be imposed on that and so two people are choosing to have if they choose to have condomless sex the other person is also choosing that and there needs to be some accountability there as well and so that's just the other piece is that it takes two to tango as well
0: thank you both for being here I'm going to close off with some text messages to 6.30, 6.30. Nicole says, as a Bible-believing Lutheran, I say good on you. God is in your work. God is with your work. This is God's justice at work. People who genuinely care about communities helping protect communities. Ron says, I had a 22-year relationship with one man. He passed in 2004. We want the same as straights. There is no cure. Nothing is 100%. The new programs are a step. Combining them is smart. Jordan says, as a straight male, I'd like to compliment your guest, Brooke. I'm very impressed with how he's rebutting some of these comments. He sounds intelligent and well-informed. We like him, by the way. (laughs) Why don't we close with this? And I just have a couple of seconds. Brandon wonders, are there any signs a person should look for if they suspect they may be HIV positive?
2: There are no signs and symptoms, generally. Um, The best thing is is that if you're engaging in multiple partners or you're unsure of your status, if you haven't been tested, is just to get tested.
0: Okay, Laura Keegan, Brooke Biggin, thanks. Thank you. HIVtonight.com, news coming right up.